painting to photography, from beadwork to woodworking. KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University presents Artbeat. Artbeat highlights the work and accomplishments of local artists from in and around Winona. Support for Artbeat is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Winona has a pretty great art scene for a city its size. And today on Artbeat, we take you back to the Winona Art Walk 2023 for something of a tour of it all. See, back in November, several local studios opened their doors as part of this annual event so that we could all share in some local hometown art. There was so much art to see on the 2023 Art Walk that we decided to break it down into several episodes on Artbeat. On today's episode, KQAL's Giovanni Bermudez takes us to Touchstone Glass and KQAL's Dylan Halzate takes us to Schumacher Pottery and Blue Heron Studios. I'm Bill Stoneberg, and this is the Winona Art Walk 2023, Part 2, today on Artbeat. Hey, I'm Giovanni Bermudez, and on this portion of the Art Walk, we take you to Touchstone Glass to speak with its owner and founder, Kathy Richardson. My name is Kathy Richardson. I'm the owner of Touchstone Glass, or and Kathy Richardson Glass, and um, I make high-end paperweights and cameo-engraved vessels and a lot of other small glass items. What would you say is your favorite thing to make out of glass? Whatever I'm working on at the time, I think. So that may be a cameo vase or it may be a paperweight. Can you uh, go through the process of how you start with a tube of glass or a bar of glass and get to the paperweight? Okay, it's a very long process, actually. I start with big bars of glass that, I, that are made in, in Germany or New Zealand. Those have to be cut into chunks and put in a kiln. I pick them up and I pull them into smaller glass rods. I pull them into glass rods, and then those glass rods are the, the material I use to begin making leaves and flower petals and flowers, fish, coral, whatever I'm working on. And those rods are very often layered, so there may be a transparent color over an opaque color, so you get variations in color. Once I have rods pulled, I start flattening, pulling petals to make flowers or sculpting bodies to make frogs or lizards or coral, which whatever my current design is. Many, many, many pieces later, I put together flower, I put together corals, coral reef scenes, and they compose a 3D sculpture. That 3D sculpture is put into a cylindrical steel chamber, which is in a kiln. And molten glass is heated up and essentially poured over it. Then that is um, pulled out of the, the chamber, and then a base is added to it. And then the pieces formed using um, glass um, wood blocks, rather, into a paperweight shape. And then put in a kiln, and it takes two days to come down to room temperature. Two days to cool off from that. Glass has to cool very slowly, coming from its you know, 1,800, 2,000 degrees when it's molten. And it has to come back to room temperature very slowly. So it has to anneal. And because I, there are lots of different colors in there and they have slightly different coefficients of expansion, you want to bring it down slowly so they can all kind of readjust. Can you explain to me what the coefficient... I'm sorry, I'm trying to... The coefficient of expansion is a measurement of how much a glass expands and contracts as it's heated. What makes it different for the different colors? Like, why is it, uh, why is it different? It's different because glass has different chemicals in it. 
like a little bit of cobalt will make blues, a little bit of manganese will make copper colors or uh, turquoise colors. And depending on what chemicals are in the glass, their composition is just slightly different. So it has a slightly different coefficient of expansion. Do you have all the uh, coefficients of expansions off the top of your head? No, we don't worry about those. We just worry about cooling it slow enough that nothing cracks. And it's sort of a science, but it's sort of art also. So you get that from experience. And you find out that if you cool it down too quickly, you open up the kiln and you're very disappointed when there's a crack in something. Sometimes things crack and you'd have no idea why they cracked. They just did. So it can be very frustrating. It's a type of artwork that you have to have a lot of patience for. And you have to have some patience with things that don't work out. You know, you mentioned how it's a combination between a science and an art. What do you think is the separation between the two? Well, the science governs exactly what the materials do, but the art is what I do with the materials. What are you trying to do with the material when you see that glass tube sitting there, I assume, on your desk? You mean the glass rods. Tube is hollow. <laughs> um, mostly, I have an idea of a composition I want, a range of colors I want to work with, um, sometimes I'm inspired by a certain image or photo, especially when I work with my coral reef pieces. I'm actually not a scuba diver, but I love looking at underwater videos as well as um, I have a lot of books on different types of um, coral reefs from around the world. And I'm fascinated by the fact that the underwater creatures have such vivid colors a wide range of colors and a wide range of shapes. And so, so those all fascinate me. And it's in interesting to bring them into a composition. I also obviously understand that coral reefs are disappearing and they're very fragile environments. And it's, it's sort of an honor to be able to try to recreate some of them in glass. You know, you mentioned how you make paperweights here, but when I first saw these uh, lovely pieces of artwork, I don't really realize they're paperweights. They are so complex and so beautiful that they kind of draw me away to I forget like oh this is meant to hold down a stack of papers the complexity is what really jumps out at me because you mentioned how it takes a lot of patience you mentioned how you have an idea in your head does that idea stick the whole way through or does it like I have this goal I want to get to but sometimes it veers off and I just work with what I have um, I think both. I think you can't go into it with a really rigid idea because the glass parts are rigid and they fit together differently depending on the individual shape of the flower or the coral reef uh, bunch of coral, coral or whatever. So every time you put it together, it's going to be different. And sometimes you think, oh, I want this in, that in. And then you go, wait a minute, those don't fit together. Or even if they fit together, they don't look good together. So you have to change it and you have to put something else there so that the uh, um, entire composition has symmetry sometimes or at least has good design quality so that the eye is pleased by what it sees as well as intrigued by what it sees. And so I try to get that detail into my pieces so that people are encouraged to not just look at the overall piece in a second, but to pick it up and look at it in more greater detail. How long have you been involved with the Art Walk? Well, I was involved with the original Art Walk. Um, not sure, this. I think this is the 23rd one the original art walk and I so I did a couple of art walks back then and then long hiatus I didn't do the art walk for quite a number of years so I'm just now rejoining the art walk. 
What made you uh, stop taking part in the art walk? And follow up, what made you come back? Partly the other artists that were at my location moved out. So I was the only one there. And my studio just uh, wasn't well suited to having to rearrange things and have it so that people could come in and uh, buy things. Plus, I was really, really busy with um, commission pieces and um, wholesale work for a lot of galleries and shops. Right, and uh, what brings you back this year? Is that all, like, resolved, or is there a different reason? Well, partly, I still want to support the arts in Winona, and because I moved to a new location, I wanted people to know where I am. Even though I'm mostly a manufacturing site, I mostly make my work here. I sell it elsewhere, usually. I still wanted people to be able to come in. I realized I have a lot of unique pieces from lots of years ago that um, I think would be nice in other homes. Where could people find your work besides here? Um, besides here, you can see my new work on uh, my Facebook account, which is Kathy Richardson Glass. And I sell through dealers, um, paperweight dealers, uh, one in Chicago, one in California. And I go to paperweight collectors groups and conventions. Oh, yes. I also have a local, couple of local places I sell things um, at Natural Images in Rochester. It's a shop in the outside of Mayo in the subway area. I want to go back to the, uh, the broken pieces. When a piece cracks or it, you know, it doesn't show out the way that you were expecting. What do you do with those? Mostly I throw them away, unfortunately. My glass needs, the glass that goes over my work is a really fine, high-end optical glass, which means it's extremely clear. It doesn't have any impurities in it. So you can't just remelt it. And so either if it's not too bad, if it has a crack in it, I don't sell it. But if it's because something broke, like petals broke off the flowers or something like that, I will sell them as seconds eventually. So I'm a seconds, what do you mean by that? It means they are less than perfect, which means that you get a discount. You know, there is an old philosopher who said that something's imperfections are what make it perfect. Essentially, it gives them a bit of personality beyond what you expected. Do you think that could translate in your art? Sometimes. I think I'm not as bothered, and there are some people that are not as bothered if there's slight defects. But some paperweight collectors are, are real purists, and they expect things to be absolutely perfect. You know, you mentioned paperweight collectors. I'm unaware of this culture. Can you elaborate a little more on it? Um, sure. There are just like um, antique collectors and um, bottle collectors, vase collectors. There are um, a number of people all around the world that do collect paperweights. And many of them started maybe collecting some of the antique paperweights ones that were made in France in the 1850s or 60s or in New England in the uh, 1890s or early 1900s. But then a number of um, contemporary paperweights have developed, makers have taken up the artwork, particularly since the 1950s. You know, they grew out of the art glass movement. And the, there are a number of us that are contemporary artists that are creating uh, paperweights and these um, paperweight collectors have formed collecting groups like a lot of collectors. There are regional groups, and then there is a national um, paperweight collectors association. 
and there are groups in the UK and some in maybe Australia, New Zealand. There used to be some paperweight groups. There are some in France and Germany. And it's crazy to think about that a culture could form around such a narrow field of art. You do vases and you do, well, I'm, well, I'm sorry, you, you call these something else. What did you call these? Well, the vases, I have some blown vases from when I did have a glass furnace and I was making some vases with my son. Um, the cameo vases that I make, I do not blow the vases. I have a fine glass blower who can blow thin, even layers over the vessels to make them for me. And then I do engraving in the, on the vessels, which takes a lot of hours. You want to elaborate a little more on the process of engraving? Um, the process of engraving is um, use tools to um, create images on the glass. The engraving can be done with um, engraving wheels, which is how traditionally it was done with lays and copper, copper wheel engraving. It's been done since, mm, I don't know, 1600s or something. Um, but these days, you can also use a different kind of engraving tool that's more like what people think of as a Dremel tool. It's actually a handset that has um, small diamond bits, and we in essentially um, grind away the glass so that it's thinner and the color underneath shows through, and we can create a lot of different kinds of images in the glass. Is there anything else you make with glass? Now, that's all I make, but I used to make um, glass beads, fused glass pieces, fused glass bowls. I originally started actually in stain, doing stained glass in the 1980s, so I built stained glass windows. I sometimes fixed old windows, did a little bit of restoration work. Did you start out uh, just repairing windows and creating these things and then move on to this artwork, or was the art part always a passion for you? Art was always a passion. It's not what I studied in school. I was a geochemist, so I did research for 10 years, but eventually I evolved back into my passion, which was really artwork, and started doing stained glass, uh, creating stained glass windows, then started playing around with hotter and hotter things. Eventually... When we moved to Ohio, I got a chance to um, be a special student at the, uh, in the glass department at Bowling Green State University. And I learned to blow glass and um, work with hot glass, sculpt hot glass. Turns out I was not a very good glass blower of hollow things. Couldn't keep them centered very well. I was much better at working with solid things. So I eventually evolved to doing paperweights or glass orbs or whatever you want to call them. Well, is there anything you'd like to say to our audience before I end the interview? Other than I would like you to come and hold my paperweights, pick them up, turn them in your hands, uh, get to view them for lots of different angles and enjoy them. Well, thank you for doing this interview with us. You're welcome. Today on Artbeat, we get walking at the Winona Art Walk and Tour. We talk to Shoemaker Pottery and the artist behind the Blue Heron Studio for an exclusive interview you don't want to miss. I'm Dylan Alzate, and I ask you to sit back and grab some coffee as we bring you the Winona Art Walk and Tour today on Artbeat. All right, well, I'll just start off with uh, your name and what you're doing here today. I'm Teresa Bizant Shoemaker, 
And um, I've been a potter uh, over a span of 50 years, although I've had 25 years of teaching third grade, <laughs> second and third grade, and uh, in between and raising four kids. So you say you're a potter. So what made you want to get into pottery? It's something I just always wanted to do. I mean, growing up along the, we went on the river a lot and you dig down, um, you know, a foot and you've got clay. And so I used to do a lot of clay work and, you know, just mud pies and castles and yeah. And I've always been really um, tactile. So. So um, what's been your favorite part about about doing this within your experience of being a professional potter? Oh, gosh. I think the f- my favorite part is throwing on the wheel and, uh, and hand building, yeah. Just making, the pot, uh, just making the clays yourself? Yeah. Um, it's, throwing is, is something there's a lot of preparation for, so the actual throwing takes um, minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. It's uh, altering the form and adding handles and, you know. I mean, you spend a lot of time um, on each piece. So mm-hmm. you prepare the clay, you throw the clay, you have to trim the clay, you have to bisque fire uh, so that the clay is uh, able to be handled. Then you have to glaze it, and then you glaze fire. Yeah, so. Interesting. A lot of words that I don't, that I don't quite understand. <laughs> so what, like, when you trim or glaze, like, how does that work? Uh, when you trim your, it's almost like, um, wood turning. Um, when you're, you know, you're taking excess clay away. So when you throw a pot, it has to have support from underneath. Not always. It depends on how big it is. But then, uh, when it's leather hard and you can handle it without it, you know, folding, um, you turn it upside down and take excess off and create a foot um, and it's 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 kind of sculptural. It's a fun thing to do. <laughs> so, how do glazes work? Um, glazes are really clay, uh, and that's why they, when you brush them on or dip them on uh, to a pot, that's why they stay in place because um, they're actually clay. They have a, a flux to lower the melting point, and um, just different ingredients, uh, especially. To color, there are oxides and dioxides that go into it. And it depends on the kiln. If you're firing in an electric kiln, you have an oxidized atmosphere. And if you uh, fire in a wood kiln or a, a gas kiln, uh, you can reduce the atmosphere and take away the oxygen, which makes different colors. So you could have the same glaze in an electric kiln, and it'll be a different color in it gas kiln if it's reduced nice yeah <laughs> that's really interesting um so i did see some i see i saw some tags on a bit of the pieces are you selling some of your pottery yeah this is the the fall art walk and uh, it's er- every year it's the weekend before thanksgiving and uh i've been on this art walk for 10 years now so, awesome yeah that's- um so with your t- with ten years being in a part of the art walk, what's been your what's been your favorite moment in that in that area? Oh, it's just I work alone a lot, and so seeing people is great. That's really fun. 
<laughs> seeing a lot of people uh, who are very interested in art and especially pottery. Mm-hmm. It's it's inspiring and it's uh, it it gives you you know a lot of motivation to go on. Right. <laughs> um. I'm, so I know as a potter, you have a lot of things that you make. What's your What's been your favorite um, item that you like making as a as a potter? Well, the the easiest and probably most fun are are bowls and platters. Um, yeah. Awesome. And um, if someone were, were to get into pottery, what would be your what would be your best advice? I would take a class. Uh, at a university uh, if you are at that age <laughs> or uh, or uh, take a class from a potter. There are lots of places around, uh, not in Winona so much. Um, I teach uh, private classes here, um, but uh, there's a place called Generous Earth in La Crosse and a couple of other places. Um, yeah. So, do you have any uh, like social medias to keep updated with, or? Yeah, I do. I, I'm on Instagram as shoemakerpottery.com uh, or Shoemaker Pottery. I'm on Facebook, um, and I I have a, a local following. <laughs> good, good. Um, is there any tags that you like to add on before we wrap this up? Any last kind of comments? Um, I can't really think of anything right now. That's okay. That's all right. Uh, All right. Well. Yeah, you, you. All right. So, uh, just a little icebreaker. Um, I'll just have your name and, uh, what you're featuring here for the art walk. Okay. My name is Julia Crozier and I have, uh, paintings and drawings. Most of the paintings are oil paintings and the drawings are, mostly oil pastels and I have some pen and ink drawings too and and chalk pastel um so how long have you been doing doing all of this uh pretty much all my life um because I grew up in a family well my dad was an artist and so I started painting really young and um so I just kind of kept it up and went to art school and started you know getting serious about doing it you know making a living at it when i was a young adult and uh it was a good thing to do while i was raising my raising my family and stuff so a flexible schedule you know (laughs) um and before you listed a whole bunch of different art styles like pastels oils um so what's what's your preferred or more more favorite form of art uh as far as mediums go Mm -hmm. or um well right now uh most of the time i'm interested in oil painting um it varies from year to year like what i get into but um for the last few years i've been doing oil paintings mostly and for a while i was just focused on oil pastels for years and it actually started to kind of bother my hands and stuff because it was really hard to keep it up with blending. So I started getting into oil paintings more. So um, that's, that's, and there's a lot to learn still (laughs) about oil painting. So I'm going to just keep doing that probably for a while. Cool. And uh, to those who 
who feel like getting into the art, into the arts or in the business, what would be your best advice? Uh, well, um, oh, that's a hard question. Um, I think the main thing is to work on your art and, uh, maybe get to, if you think you have a, a good body of work to, uh, maybe apply to some shows and talk to some other artists who know how to, uh, what it takes physically to get into shows. Like, you know, if they were going to do outdoor fairs, what it takes to do that. And, you know, just to talk to some artists about how it works. Right. And then just go for it. <laughs> right. <clears throat> how long have you been involved in the, in the Winona Art Walk and tour? Uh, well, it's from the beginning, actually, but... I can't really remember how long it is. <laughs> I was trying to think of that the other day. I think it might be almost 20 years, but I'm not sure. Really? Yeah. And I haven't done it every single year. Like last year, I didn't do it. But um, uh, I've been involved in it since the beginning. So. And with your experience of being involved in the Art Walk and Tour, what's been your most favorite moment being involved? Oh, um, hmm. I can't really think of the favorite moment, actually. <laughs> um, it's, it's been good. Just the interaction with the public has been, has been good. Um, and also with the people that were organizing it, that, that was a good experience, too. Just, you know, kind of figuring things out with friends who are involved. Right. Mm-hmm. Let me phrase that again. If someone wanted to keep up with you online, where could they uh, where could they find you? Uh, well, I I don't have a website anymore, but I am on Instagram. Uh, I can't remember my address. <laughs> uh, probably the best way to do it is to um, go through the River Arts Alliance here in Winona to, to Google River Arts Alliance because I'm on there and you can contact me through there and I do have like a photo uh, kind of a photo gallery through there okay. so yeah that's probably the easiest way okay thank you um, is there uh, before we wrap this up is there any last notes that you like to tag at the end uh, well um I'm glad that I live in in a community that supports the art, arts in general, and um, I've had a lot of really, really good uh, support for my work here in Winona, so I really appreciate that, all the people that have supported me throughout the years. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. You're welcome. A big thanks to Teresa Shoemaker and Julia Crozier, as well as the River Arts Alliance for making this whole event possible. To check out the organizers of the event, check out WinonaArtWalk.org. Otherwise, visit ShoemakerPottery.com. For more featured artists, including Julia Crozier, visit TheRiverArtsAlliance.org. Thanks again to all of the artists involved in the Winona Art Walk 2023. To learn more about the Art Walk, go to WinonaArtWalk.org. For more conversations on art, tune into Artbeat Tuesdays at 1230 right here on 89.5 KQAL. For podcasts of Artbeat and other KQL original programming, go to kqal.org and find links to your favorite streaming services. Be sure to tune in next week for part three of our series on the Winona Art Walk. 
I'm Bill Stoneberg, and we've just heard from KQAL's Giovanni Bermudez and KQAL's Dylan Alzate at the 2023 Winona Art Walk on Artbeat. Artbeat is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us on the web at kqal.org.